2: at the Garden Church in downtown Long
3: Beach, California. Okay, let's go ahead and begin. Um, we may have more or few see we prepared for everybody this time. Last we shouldn't have prepared because then we would have had everybody show up. Um, but they'll n- no, no, this is early for the garden so, Although, although Pete told me that on, in my benediction and first service in the morning, I prayed for Rock Harbor, so I don't know what the deal is. I know, I know. I, I, yeah. Well, the thing that's bad is that my wife told me that I did that, and I shamed her. There is no way that I did that. I am going to listen to the tape, because I did not. Because in my head, I heard garden. But, but now everybody else is lying it's a, a podcast. it's a yeah well see yeah <laughs> yeah it's like in, it's a you know play the game uh, on on football no pass interference uh but anyway let's um let's hope open uh, with prayer and then we'll uh, we'll jump in uh lord uh, we are very grateful for your presence We know that there is no place where we are that you aren't. Uh, There are lots of places, Lord, where we are that we aren't. It's really, really hard to be where we are, to be present. And it is for that reason, sometimes, and that reason alone, that we can't discern your voice. We can't hear your direction. We can't uh, receive your love because we're anxious. We're living in the past, we're living in the future, we're living somebody else's life. And we just pray for capacity to be where we are tonight, to hear what you might say to us, even in our our shared conversation. I'm so grateful for these men and women who have taken some time uh, to think with me about these things, and uh, I thank you for the privilege of learning from them in our shared conversation. So Spirit of the Living God, speak to us uh, as you will, as you wish. Uh, I pray, O God, very particularly for those who are here tonight for one reason or another have come to the conclusion that hearing God's voice is what other people get and they don't. I just ask you, Lord Jesus, to um, blow their socks off somehow. Give them a, 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 a tuning in of the frequency of their soul to the voice of your great love. And I pray that you would help us uh, as we walk through these things tonight to hear what you might say to us in them. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, last week, we uh, kind of walked through a general framework of what it means to. To, uh, to hear God's voice, what the general parameters or, or, or um, understandings of that are uh, in terms of uh, its, its um, uh, um, kind of foundation in Scripture and so on and so forth. One of the things that I, I uh, wanted to circle back around on briefly, and you can see the kind of the uh, brief uh, outline of where I thought we were last week, that is, that um, developing this conversational relationship, that's Dallas's language, but I think it's really kind of what we want. What I'm, what I'm, maybe I should say this, what I'm trying to kind of push back against is the notion that the only time we hear God's voice is when we need direction. Uh, because very often in those kinds of scenarios, we have not trained our ear to hear in the normal. So that when we need it in the what we think is abnormal, we have no way of discerning whether it's his voice or not. Uh, and the second thing that kicks in is we often want to hear God's voice for our purposes rather than for his purposes. We think that if we know what God wants, like I said last time, that, that somehow we'll make the right decision, we'll win the lottery, we'll marry the right person, take the right job, buy the right house or whatever, and then everything will be wonderful thereafter and the point i was trying to make last week again is that the hearing of god's voice whatever language that whatever you we understand that to mean is really part of a whole life of walking it's not just a discrete moment it's part of a of a of a being and the reason i want to come to that is that we live in a world that is sustained by god's voice if you are alive, you have heard God's voice. You exist by the power of His Word. I need, I need you to sit with that. Because, like I, I said, I talk to people a lot, a lot of times that, I, everybody else, but not me, I've never heard God's voice. And the truth is, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you've heard God's voice. You can't have come to a saving awareness of who Jesus is, except that you've heard his voice. You may not have recognized it as his voice, but that doesn't mean you haven't heard his voice. That means you haven't recognized it as his voice. So part of what I want to do is just tonight continue the conversation from last week with a little bit more specificity, talking about the general conditions that we can train our souls into so that, that when next week we come to specific decisions, how do we discern the will of God in specific matters that are before us, uh, we'll build on the framework of the last three, two, two nights. Does that make sense? Um, because I think to go there without this turns it into a kind of Christian superstition, and that's not particularly what, what we're really wanting to be, to be about. Uh, so again, last week, Biblical understanding of God and ourselves and the nature of that relationship that exists between us. The second, we talked about a foundation built on the, on the way of the Lord. The ten words, first of all, is a general parameter of that. Jesus' uh, codification a reduction of that or expansion of that into the disciplines of love. Jesus is very aware that, that knowing what the rules are does not teach you how to play the game. So knowing the rules of basketball doesn't make you a great basketball player. So you'll notice that what he does is take the so-called negative boundary markers of the ten words, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other, and reframes them in a do this. Do you you feel the difference? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You won't have to worry about the out-of-bounds lines love your neighbor you won't have to worry about the last five tables elements of the of the words uh as you love yourself you 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 know so so though that dynamic is there he's reframed it in the in a positive way so any there's no question that we have enough to know how to live well and successfully in shalom already we need not hear one other single thing from the heavens. We already know enough. We have already heard enough of the word of the Lord to know how to live wisely and well, right? And, 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 and that's, I, I, I can't underestimate, underemphasize that. I, it's really important that we get this whole business of discernment and hearing the voice of the Lord and the work of the Spirit and so on In the framework of already living in an adequately uh, uh, informed world. Okay? Uh, Any questions or comments on any of that? I'm going to steal this and put my. Okay, yeah, so, so guilt is a great gift that lets us know that we have crossed into unsafe territory. So it's the buzzer, it's the red light when the goal is scored, it's the, you know, it's that flash that, that I've, I've crossed, in, and it's very, very useful if it's well-trained, because I want to know if I'm in, if I've crossed the line or if I'm in danger, I want to know, know that. The key thing with guilt versus neurotic guilt is that real guilt is tied to reality and neurotic guilt is not. So guilt ought to be reserved for things for which we are morally in error. It ought not be used for things for which there is no moral attachment. So, so uh, the example I always give is, you know, you didn't call your mother at 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon, and you feel guilty about it. No, that's neurotic, right? Because there's no moral wrongdoing uh, necessarily attached to that. Um, uh, And then then shame becomes the smokescreen that masks neurotic guilt's unanchoredness right so neurotic guilt is not anchored in reality we feel guilty for things for which we ought not feel guilty shame changes the subject and makes it not about the behavior but about us so you're a shameful person you deserve to be disqualified etc and so so when we're dealing with shame we no longer we we, we no longer there's not there's nothing you can do about shame because it's not anchored in reality. There's nothing you can do about neurotic guilt because it's not anchored in reality. So it's this catch-22 that, that is used to manipulate and control behavior. Real guilt is very, very easy to deal with. You, you receive the forgiveness that God has already offered. You act in repentance, and you're good to go. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's the shame piece, by the way, that disables a lot of our hearing, right? Because if I'm ashamed, I'm not going to come to God. I'm going to, because I'm convinced He'll treat me the way my dad did, or the way my my sixth grade teacher did, or whoever it was that has disciplined me with shame uh, out of fear. You know, then and and then I'm not, I'm not. I'll I'll wait till I get my act together. Then I'll show up. Which means that you'll never get your act together. The neurotic guilt. guilt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was the the, the foundations, and then last week uh, finalized. We talked about the general wisdom tradition of proverbs and psalms and Ecclesiastes uh and and uh, much of uh, some of the writing of Paul Jesus uses a lot of wisdom uh language uh, a lot of the parables are are common uh wisdom kinds of traditions Jesus was not um in some ways in many ways an original uh he was not the only rabbi that was teaching using parables he was not the only rabbi that was traveling around and saying many of the things that he was saying um the difference was uh, is that he spoke with authority versus a derived authority. Uh, um, there were some other differences too, but that was the probably the main one. And the goal of the wisdom tradition is to teach people how to live life as it was meant to be lived—to live in shalom, to live in wholeness, to live in a uh, in 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 uh, in in peace, in calm. So that's where we were last week. Um, so to get the conversation started tonight i'd like you to think with me about what it takes to create a word which then can be heard with me Mm -hmm. so a word is a thought that is given expression by means of breath by means of air Right? This is Dallas's way of, of, of conceptualizing this. This is why we talk about creation as being a word. God said, and there was. And, and there was no, it was not a challenge. He has the capacity, being who he is, that it's as natural to him to speak things into being as it is for me to raise my hand. It doesn't require effort per se it's it's a function of being so when you think about that it's important to notice in genesis 1 then how the the spirit hovers and is part of the creative process he hovers over the face of the earth the spirit then becomes the agency by which the word is actualized by which the created word is actualized in in our, our in our reality. Question on that. I mean, very from the topic? I'm sorry. I, had a time. I was reading
2: today. In, I was trying to do some what's it called? Apologetics on the Holy Spirit being creator mm-hmm. uh, associated with and in Job saying in my Bible English Standard and in, in NIV it says God's breath. But when I looked at it in the Orthodox Jewish, it says ruach.
3: No, it can be trans- translated to both. So context is going to determine what it is. The, the Hebrew is the same in all of those cases. So it has to do with ruach. It has to do with breath. It has to do with spirit. The question is, um, h- how, how do we determine translation, right? Uh, so, so I, I don't know that it's necessary to make a fine line between the spirit of God and the breath of God, uh because they're the same. He is the yeah you know, Psalms will talk about um spirit being the the capacity for life and that if it's gone, it's we're dead. Uh, so so this this idea now uh, is that breath or is that the spirit of God? Breathe, right? And, and and the Genesis narrative, genesis two seven says it's it's the spirit of God. it's the breath of God. It's the same thing that 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 sustains and enables life. Um, so when we think about that, then the the Holy Spirit is the one who is at the center of all in any communion uh with the Father. He is the breath that the behind the word of creation uh, and the words that we might hear. So in general, uh, framework of the communion that we talked about God desiring last week uh, and the specific word that we wish to receive about some discrete piece of decision-making, we'll talk about that next week, um, I want to talk uh, about a couple of things that talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in communion with us. And we're going to narrow it down because there's too much but we'll just look at the passages um, that 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 um, train us when we ought to expect the Holy Spirit's uh, agency in, in in action. Does that does that make sense? Um, so that and and the reason I do this is because the if what I was saying yesterday is at all true, that is that that still small voice that we talked about becomes preeminent and predominant voice that god uses to speak to us we ought to expect then uh, not an external voice from the heavens but more of an internal witness uh, pressure an awareness that we will recognize as the word of the lord i was talking to somebody uh, on saturday and he had been listening to some apologetic preacher who was suggesting that, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it ever uh, talk about impressions or about uh, these ways of hearing. Um, so, so therefore, they're not biblical and therefore we ought not attend to them. We already have enough in the written text and so on and so forth, uh, which sounds very logical except that every time In the Bible, it says, and the word of the Lord came to, it doesn't tell us how he discerned the word of the Lord. Do do, do you follow? So it's an argument from silence, literally, to say we must assume that everybody who hears the word of the Lord or to whom the word of the Lord comes heard it in an audible way. In fact, that is rare and scary. It doesn't occur very often, and when it does, the people to whom it came wishes it hadn't, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's specified. So the normal course by which people hear the word of the Lord is an internal witness. Does that make sense? Uh, well, we'll talk about that. Uh, I'm now talking about that still small voice, that sound of the gentle blowing, that inner convictional awareness uh, that, that is the primary means by which God guides us as we m- become more and more mature, which is what I think Elijah needed to be trained in. He had been trained in the spectacular. This is the point I was trying to make yesterday. He was trained in the spectacular and now needed to be trained in the in, inner, inner voice, right? Um, so, and that's I think, yeah, please. I I would not be at all surprised that when we get down to it, and we'll talk more specifically about this next week, we will finally come to the conclusion that there is not often a lot of real discrete difference between the varying ways of knowing things, the varying ways of hearing things. So if you are held in existence by the word of God, who else's voice would he use to speak to you? but yours, okay. right? And how do, how do we, sometimes then it's that intuition. Sometimes if I took a, a heads bowed, I'd close, raise your hand survey, my guess is that almost everybody in the room has at one time or another come to an awareness of something external to you without being told it. So something happens to a relative, something happens to a friend at work, a spouse, and you know something, you don't know what it is, but you know that something has occurred. Right. So my other question is, is that sometimes, like I get either like a flashback or what feels like déjà vu, mm-hmm. I've
1: seen this, and my reaction to it isn't going to be a surprise. It's going to be more like I'm, I've matured enough to know what to do next yep. because I've, I've seen it already. Mm-hmm. Already shown me
3: this. Mm-hmm. And and because of the the mystery in which we're dealing, even with how the brain works in all of these things, it's almost impossible to be uh, arbitrary or dogmatic on what is or isn't. So the question for me, and we'll, this is why I think we'll start with the spirit here, is, is it true? Is it anchored in reality? Because ha- the, the voice often is not enough by itself. You'll notice as we talk about this next week that when we're looking for specific direction often we will have an awareness internally of what we ought to do, not tell anybody, and by 24 hours later, three or four people out of the blue will have in some way or another confirmed what we already know. We ought to expect that kind of thing in in this communal relational universe that we're living in. Uh, and, and that's why, by the way, it's almost important that we learn how to treasure that voice and not always speak what we hear there's a maturing that's required uh, which i think sometimes is why god doesn't trust me trust us with with more than he does because i'm a blabbermouth sometimes with with stuff like that i just i just i you know And I've noticed as I get older and more mature in these kinds of things, sometimes I'm being invited to pray about things and not do anything more about them, right? Remember that prayer is always going to be the most effective thing you can do about anything. It's way more effective than you actually getting involved yourself. You know, me praying for someone that I've... Had dropped into my heart is way more effective than me going and visiting them in the hospital, right? Now I can do that, but I want to do that after I've done the big thing. I want to do the little thing. You see, and sometimes then prayer is enough. And then, um, the cat, are there certain for yep, we'll talk about that some more next week too. So that so this is why community is so important, right? Uh, and, and, and why we want to become trained in this through this whole broad, because this is not Christian versions of tarot cards or, uh, you know, tea leaf reading. This is not what we're doing. We're talking about living in a relational universe with a God who desires and has worked to maintain relationship with us at great personal cost to him. Why in the world... Wouldn't he commune with us when he has gone to great personal lengths to reestablish the connection with us to enable that kind of communion? We are, after all, intended to be his image. Of course, he will commune with us. He can't, if I can use this, this language appropriately, he can't not commune with us. His son was called the Word. There's a reason for that, right? Okay, so let's look at this. Um, These passages in John, um, and I'm going to take some liberty just to read these because I think it's important that we recognize a couple of things. First of all, I want you to listen to the distinctions between the ways the Holy Spirit speaks to disciples and the ways the Holy Spirit speaks to people who are not yet disciples. The Holy Spirit addresses and can address everybody this is important uh for for us uh so the first thing is john 14 so i think i've got the references there yeah, yeah. so uh john 14 uh is uh, and just to set frame jesus is uh about to to go to the cross this is his last um a few hours with his disciples within within 12 hours he will be hanging on a cross so these have the urgency of his last words, the last will and testament, right? And this chapter begins with this famous, you know, bridal uh, declaration, don't let your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, in my father's house, etc." And then he goes on and talks about going away and then says this in verse 16 and 17. Um, I will ask the father... And he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever, namely the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This is incredibly powerful language. So notice what he is giving, giving uh, his disciples the promise of here. Uh, first of all, I'm going to ask the Father, he's going to send you a comforter, a helper, a or cal- 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 one called alongside to help, is the literal translation of helper. Uh, and it's used technically to, to refer to a, a defense attorney. Uh, it's been translated comforter uh, a variety of ways. So the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in this particular way, is, is uh, to one, one who's brought alongside, right? Uh, that said, then, his primary role is to be the spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. So he becomes the plumb line, the arbiter of what is true and what is not. The more we attend to the Holy Spirit, the easier it will be for us to discern when we're listening to something on the radio or from a sermon perhaps or or reading something in a book that something's off. We may not know always how it's off, but we will be able to tell that something's out of tune because it doesn't resonate with the truth that has come to dwell in us. The Holy Spirit, then, is is what makes true things true. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the the space between the atoms, between the protons in in, in in a molecule. The Holy Spirit is in that blank space. He is the agency, the atmosphere, the environment that we exist in. This is Paul in um, Colossians, right? This is uh, Moses in Genesis. So this spirit hovering, filling the spaces, he now comes to reside in us and helps us to recognize in a world of falsehood what is true and what is not. That's his, by the way, if he does nothing else, that's worth the money right there. Because we we live in a world that sometimes is challenging, right? To to make that distinction. Again, this is all in the backdrop of the kinds of things we were talking about last week. But so he is the spirit of truth, and he says the world cannot receive him. Why not? Because it doesn't know him. Truth is a relational characteristic. Not, Not up for grabs, not defined by persons. It's not like I get to define truth. It's that I get to be defined by truth. It exists external to me and by relationship with the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I can become a resident for this spirit of truth who will abide with me and will be in me and in us who are his disciples. And Jesus said, if I don't go away, he won't come. And he'll tell us why that is in a few minutes, but right now that's the that's the reality. Uh, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's the first one and and probably the the foundational one for the for the set. Any any questions or thoughts on that? Real quick, so the spirit will never guide you against truth. Never. Okay. He will never guide you against truth. Okay. He can't. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Uh, a little bit further on uh, is in 25, uh, uh, 1425, so a few verses later. Jesus again speaking, These how I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and here's here's two of the primary things that he will do. He will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Right? so. If you happen to be holding a New Testament, you have evidence the the Holy Spirit did his job. Because he reminded them of what Jesus had said and done. The outcome, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now that's only one part of what he does. But please notice that the primary focus of the Holy Spirit is Jesus. He will will remind us what Jesus said, and he will teach us what Jesus meant, which is not always easy to determine, right? Uh, But the Spirit comes, and and again, this is a relational discernment. It's a relational conversation that we're engaged and invited into. This is not um, uh, go to school. This is walk with me that we're, we're talking about. So, so Jesus' words come to mind and their meaning comes to fruition as we are on the way of obedience. There will be things that you will know after and as obeying that you could never know before you chose to move in obedience. Jesus will not let us know more than we are doing. This is why he says, who's the wise man? The guy who builds his house on the rock. The rock is my word, right? So, so do what I ask you to do. This is, this is where, where we're going. And, and that's the, the, the critical thing. So, any questions or comments on that one? Did you have, have a question? No, you just bought a painting, though. I saw that auction. It's like, yeah. Anybody else? Okay, so the next one is uh, John chapter 15, verses 26 uh, through 27. Uh, And here's a a little bit of a shape distance, and it starts to move us external. When When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, notice this, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning. So a dual role again for the Holy Spirit, especially for those who hear the story of the disciples, their experiences with Jesus, who is the one who bears witness with the disciples in their testimony? It's the Holy Spirit. Because remember, within one generation, nobody will have had face-to-face encounter with with the man, Jesus. Everybody for the last 2,000 years has been going on somebody else's word. And it is crazy unless it's true. I mean, this is the thing that Lewis makes about his primary ar- apologetic argument for Christianity. Is that, if, I mean, if you were going to make up a religion, this would not be how you would go about it. <laughs> this is crazy talk unless it's true. And it's the Holy Spirit who, who bears witness, who underlines, who reinforces, who whispers in your heart with that spirit of truth, right? There's, there's a resonance, and you've, you, 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 you recognize this in, in multiple ways, I think. This is why I think everybody, at some level or another, has to deal with Jesus. And we get invited into that conversation. But then he says... You will bear witness. So now what does the Holy Spirit do? He empowers our witness. So one of the primary ways that we tune our hearts and voices to increased um, awareness of the the voice of the Spirit is by telling our story. Because that's all bearing witness means. I don't have to talk anybody into believing anything. I just have to tell my story. That's the primary means by which we are salt and light. Evangelism is not convincing somebody they're going to hell. Evangelism is giving them the good news of what God in Christ is up to and bearing witness to that yourself. And it is the Holy Spirit that not only reinforces that for you, but empowers that in in your work. And, And the more we engage in that storytelling exercise, the more our hearts and ears and lives are tuned to discerning what else he might say to us along the way. That makes sense? I should mention, by the way, back to the, I, I, I didn't think of this. We rarely, I shouldn't say that, probably more, more, uh, 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 more than we ought want to find out why something is not true. So rather than just taking the discernment of the Spirit and saying, I don't need to listen to this anymore, we keep on listening to see if we can figure out how it's off. And that's where we start to get in trouble, I think. Uh, And I'm not saying that we ought to be naive, that we ought to be uninformed. I'm just saying that it should be for us enough that there's a resonance. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't need to do this anymore. Because it's not like in any of us in the room don't know what we ought to be doing. I don't know about you, but I just don't have a lot of time for stuff that's not true. Do you? I, I don't need to know how it's not true. I just don't like listening to out-of-tune pianos. Why, why would I keep trying to make Moonlight Sonata sound good on an out-of-tune piano? Right? Uh, so, that said, let's go back. Um, bearing witness to the truth of and about Jesus and empowering the witness of the disciples, John 16, 6 through 11. And here's where we get... So notice the, the bridging now as we move out of 15... Uh, the Holy Spirit's now uh, u- utilizing our voice as he reaches out into the world to bear witness to the reality of Jesus, right, through our story. Uh, and now here's where he works in the world. He, uh, verse um, 8, when he comes, this is chapter 16, when he comes, when the Spirit comes, he is the one who will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So notice the work of the Spirit here now is now external. It's in the world. And his primary task is to do what none of us have the capacity to do. And that is convict the world concerning sin. The closest we can ever get on that is condemning the world for their sin. That's not helpful. The Holy Spirit is able to talk to somebody as he has done with us in the room and underline the damage that we are doing to ourselves in a way that doesn't shame us and in a way that doesn't cause us to lose hope. That's what condemnation does. It shames us and drives us away from hope. Conviction always has hope built into it. Conviction always has a capacity for new built into it. This is why the Holy Spirit's the only one who can be, um, who is able to genuinely speak to those who are in the world uh, uh, concerning, concerning their, their lifestyles or whatever. Um, and this is this is a, a, a delicate point, uh, uh, especially because we we do live in a in a time in which uh, many of our brothers and sisters um, seem to think the primary structure of evangelism is shaming and condemning the world for their sins, whether it's um, uh, sexual behavior or whether it's um, uh, um, Greed or whatever whatever the, the, the lists are. We become experts then in other people's sins. And we're not going to be very helpful if the outcome is the kingdom that we're after. Because uh, the best we can do... How do you feel when somebody comes to shame you for what you're doing? Does it work to change behavior? It does not. In fact, often it will ossify and paralyze us in that behavior if for no even if we know it's wrong I will persist in doing it because you've told me to stop <laughs> right I mean that's cuz the pride kicks in you know and and so this is why the holy spirit is really really good at that kind of heart's open heart surgery he doesn't kill the victim he 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 is he doesn't have a log in his eye so he's useful at identifying and removing splinters. I'm not so much. (laughs) Right? Um, So this is his strategy. Then he convicts the world concerning sin, and please notice, the sin is what? you, you have Bibles there? Notice what it says. Because what? They don't believe in me. So the Holy Spirit is not really concerned whether people are sleeping with their girlfriends or shooting up or sleeping with whomever else. He's not very worried about that. How does that make you feel? Yeah. Right? Not, not, at, not, not at this level, because that's not their worst problem. That's how they're probably trying to manage the pain of their worst problem, which is that they don't believe in Jesus. They're out of alignment with the fundamental DNA structure of the universe. That's their problem. Okay, and here's where the Holy Spirit now does the other work of conviction. Right? Because again, sin is no longer God's problem. It's now your problem because it's damaging you. And and it's how much cancer do you want to live with? Right? And the Holy Spirit's the one now. And then, and then now here's where the trick comes in. We who are spiritual can come to a brother or sister who have sinned, who have slipped and fallen, who have stumbled. And help restore them in a spirit of meekness, right? What does that mean? <laughs> well, it, it means gentle, and teachable, and broken, and weeping, and not finger pointing, lifting, not shaming, right? Um, and, and this is this is really really hard. We're we. It's much much easier to maintain distance and point fingers, right? So, the Holy Spirit's primary job, number one, concerning sin is to help people come to an awareness of the truth and the reality of Jesus. That's the sin. That's the missing of the mark. Then, concerning, he says, um, righteousness. And why? Because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. So, what or who is the standard of right behavior? Jesus is gone. So the Holy Spirit now, the spirit of truth, comes to the world and helps remind them that they are better than what their behavior is leading them to be. He comes to them and says, this is not how things ought be. So I, whenever I... I, I, I don't, They don't need to be believers to have a resonance of an awareness that this isn't how things are supposed to be. That's the work of the spirit. Right, but then concerning judgment, because the game's already over. Con- the the ruler of this world has been judged, and it's the Holy Spirit that underlines the decisions you make about number one and two: Jesus and sin. Uh, Jesus and 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 righteousness really matter. So does
4: this mean that Satan will never repent?
3: I don't know how you get that from there, but he probably won't. <laughs> Yeah, I know, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not, I don't think it's talking about him at all. Could be. That's the problem, right? Is that we make connections and, and we do it with the best of all possible motives, but Jesus doesn't tell us a whole lot about a bunch of things that we'd rather know about. Does anybody else notice that? I was having a debate with somebody on Facebook the other day, which is just so stupid. It's like, what am I doing? but about the nature of hell. And and I was asserting, trying to assert, that we don't know enough to be arbitrary. It's It's just too clothed in mystery. That there is one seems to me undeniable. The nature of it, and who ends up there? I don't know. It's not as clear as I would like it to be, right? Uh, and so failing its clarity, I try and I'll force artificial clarity, which it ends up not being very helpful because then all of my enemies end up there. That's what it's good for. Um, right? Well, remember, Satan is an ambassador of God. Right? He's part of the court of the Elohim, the, the, the council of God. His task is to do what? Test your grip on your identity. That's oh, yeah. Genesis two, 3. It's Job 1 and 2. It's Jesus in the garden. Yeah, I know. And, and the problem is that he doesn't say that. He just says the ruler of this world. Is that, is he I don't know. That's the, that's the difficulty because there is it, 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 a, a lot. I'm going to get into so much trouble.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, well, that it well, yeah, it, see, this is the problem. It, scripture doesn't, is not nearly as explicit on these kinds of things as we would like it to be. Uh, there is one, and we are <laughs> the ones who gave him the world to be in charge of. Right, right. We, we that we traded it in for, for fig pudding in the garden. Yeah. I discovered that it's figs, actually, not an apple. Just in them case them. you want to know, actually, it wasn't. But anyway, um, so 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 the do, 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 do you know what I'm do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So as we get to this, it's it's this invitation, um, to 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 let the Spirit do in the world what He only is capable of doing. And uh, it, the rest of that gets, gets sorted out as we, as we go along. Um, any, any other questions on that one? This is the, this is the, 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 the most difficult one that I, I, we always struggle with uh, whenever I talk about this because we somehow think the Holy Spirit's incapable of talking to people who are not Christians. If he was incapable of talking to people who are not Christians, there would be no Christians. He is the one who draws you to the Father. He is the one. Here's how. Do do, do you see? So this is, uh, and and part of what I'm, I'm inviting you to consider then is that how does he do this? How does he do this? Is it a voice from the heavens? He knows how to do that, but it's rarely that. It's this inner awareness. It's an inner conviction. It's a, it's a discernment, you know. Whether it's in intuition, uh, you know, we could, we could, we could. I, th- I think because of the the way of makeup, um, somehow uh, there are there are 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 persons in the society about seventy five percent of women, about twenty five percent of men, who are much more tuned in to emotional, uh, intuitional. Uh, 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 non-verbal forms of communication. They may not know the full content of it, but there's something else, and it's not just, I would argue that it's not just a purely human uh, characteristic. Does does that make sense? Um, So the final one that I want you to look at here is John chapter 16, which is the one, That is the most troubling to me, and I'm sure was also to the disciples, uh, when they heard him say this, verse 12. uh, John 16, 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes what is mine, namely, all things that the Father has disclosed, He, the Holy Spirit, takes all of the things that the Father has that are given to the Son, Jesus, and are now given to us by the Spirit. So Paul will synopsize this in this little phrase, we have the mind of Christ. This is in Corinthians. That's shocking to me. That's that, but that's, I need you to know that's where this is going. That's where this is going. That's what the Holy Spirit is intending to accomplish. That, that when we are done, we will have capacity for all that He will disclose to us. How does that feel? Yeah, we got, we got a couple of weeks worth of cramming here, right, <laughs> yes, sir. Nope, and the Old Testament doesn't mention much of Satan. in various forms yeah
2: yeah
3: so but I think that's what the Holy Spirit comes ideally and remember we're at this stage I don't want to be too strong on this one, but we're the ones who are letting the team down Christians? Yeah who is responsible for the world going to hell in a handbasket? because we're the ones who are the salt. We're supposed to be preserving it. We're supposed to be the ones who, by absorption into the culture, are redeeming and restoring it. But because we have isolated ourselves in the salt shaker that we call the church and inviting people in, we're not bad at that. Of course, once they get here, it's kind of challenging. But we're not supposed to be inviting people to church. We're supposed to be being church where they are right so when i i I think we see this the the prince of the power of the air the satan the devil you know a multiple numbers of words that refer to him uh, all melding together in a common adversarial language that that i i i think this is again the place and work of the holy spirit to push us out the door does that make sense uh, because we do have an enemy. The problem is that we've identified and are fighting against the wrong enemy. We write down what Paul says, but we don't really believe him. You know, we write down the flesh, uh, the, 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 the weapons of our warfare are this and that and so and so. This, the, the enemy is not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Yes, Paul, yes, Paul. Now where's the flesh and blood head that I can cut off? And we go after people. Not recognizing that people are, even the people in the dark are as victimized by the darkness. Do, do, do you know? Yeah. So I think that's the strategy that we need to start to take seriously in some of this stuff. Yeah. So in
2: terms of what we're talking about, it is us being able to hear the spirit to be able to receive this, Because if it's too cloudy, we won't be.
3: Exactly. It does not. If we don't have
2: ears to hear, then we're not going
3: to hear. Well, if you think about this, because I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But if still small voice, if inner conviction, if um, an awareness is the primary means by which we hear the word of the Lord... Noise isn't going to be helpful. Right? External or internal. In fact, when I'm giving people direction on on this, often my my primary assignment to them is I want you to go. It doesn't have to be a long time, 15-20 minutes sometimes, depending on on, on the back, backdrop, right? Go go to a quiet place. Don't put on your worship music. Don't open your Bible just yet. You can take it with you, but I want you to just to sit still and invite Jesus into the calm and still. let the mud settle and see what emerges. Because my guess is, for the most part, you probably already have heard the word of the Lord. It's just that it's been masked by the other noises. Yeah. And in order to get clarity on that, in order to hear that, I need to be still myself, and because we're so terrified of the silence, we rarely ever get us, ourselves to the place where we're willing and able to hear it, but then we say we can't hear, <laughs> well, turn the TV down, whatever the TV is, right? Yeah, yeah, really cool. yeah. We carry noise with us. We carry it with us. And that makes this discernment process really challenging. I think the, the way to say it might be that it is simple, but it's not easy. Right. Would that be a way to say it? You know, because it is. I mean, it, children can do this. It notice happens. notice that Eli could not hear the voice of the Lord but Samuel could. What are the possibilities of you know being in that place of still silence and inviting God to talk to you. What is the possibility of that? Good. We're going to talk again some more about that next week. This is my advertisement for coming back next week. Yeah, it's going to be we're going to be three hour marathon next week. Um, yeah, yeah, very, um, uh, uh, very, 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 very slight. The question was, in that silence, what are the possibilities of the enemy talking to you, and 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 what will uh, and and it. In my walk with people, it's rarely the enemy that is dis- the most distraction. It's usually our own voices That's that take same. us. Yeah, yeah, our own thoughts take us. But whence, when, w- this is the gift that Jesus gives us here in the Spirit, because it's very easy to recognize where the lies are yeah. now. Uh, when, when I hear, and, and, and all I have to do is just, okay, I've heard, I've heard something. Let's just take a step back. Is it true? And what's my response to it? So, is it shame, not from God, right? Is it does it have hope built into it? Okay, that 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 could be a resonance. Does, does that make sense? So, so even in in the possibility of that um, uh, 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 subtle voice, that whisper that Lewis talks about in uh, Screw Tape Letters, for example, if you're familiar with that. Uh, the, the, the spirit of truth uh, it, uh, uh, enables us to discern now how we respond to it that's, that's going to be the trick do I entertain the lies do I argue with the lie do I try and resist the lie or do I embrace the truth and offer the lie up to Jesus to deal with and that's the, that's the strategy but I think a lot of us entertain the lies and then wonder why they get louder Yes, yes, because remember, this is, again, the point we were talking about last time, right? The more we train ourselves in relational obedience, the more we act out of and in love, the more readily we're able to hear and discern the voice of the Spirit. So those are the the backdrop things. So uh, please notice then um, uh, in Psalm 19, so this is where I'm just uh, tracking along here. Psalm 19 gives us these three layers. So, so we have this backdrop of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 19, I'm going to go back to kind of an old school model here uh, and, and just underline this. If, if you, you've noticed this, um, it says, "...the heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament is declaring the work of His hands. Day-to-day pours forth speech. Night-to-night knowledge reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words." But their voice is not heard, but their word, their testimony, their line, their sound has gone out through all the earth. Their utterances to the end of the world. In them, for example, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, its circuit to the other end of the heavens. There is nothing hidden from its heat. So, He says, even if you miss the message of the stars, you can't escape the heat of the sun, which is the declaration of God's glory. So, primary means by which God speaks in the world today is creation. And Paul says, Romans 1, that in creation there is a sufficient witness to come to a certain kind of awareness about who God is. So we ought not, as disciples, ever be afraid of full exploration that science gives us of creation. right now well, if you know
2: even more, more than that that we don't even know you know
3: yeah um,
2: but, and these people tend to the, the ones that I'm thinking of you know I'm speaking with. they they tend to kind of use um, the inspiration of creation and and mother language and like the womb and and and, and life and things like that being uh <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm looking for a more articulate way to uh, engage in these conversations and, and without denying them or. You
3: know, yeah, so I, I, I think the problem that we have is you've got to use some words. Yeah. And as soon as you use some words, you exclude people who don't use those words. So when I talk in gender inclusive language, I have no problem doing that. God is bigger than gender. It takes both male and female to image him, so any language we use about God is representative and metaphorical. It's not true; he is not male. Right. Uh, that said, we still have to use words, so I don't I, I don't mind shifting the language as best I can to accommodate it. But at some level, I don't want to. I can't allow, I can't get myself caught up in trying to say exactly the right thing so that nobody ever misses anything. Because as soon as you choose X, then, then, then. And I I don't know how to get past that, uh, except to, to say, again, this is, a, a, a place at which I want to invite the Holy Spirit to assist in the clarification and the working through this. That's the wonder I love about creation, is that creation is, is, is above gender, right? The Son isn't gendered, but it is bearing witness. And this is the language that Paul uses in Romans to suggest that, in fact, there is sufficient witness... To bear to, to underline the reality Paul makes the same point in Acts chapter 17 that it is in Christ in him that we exist that we live and move and have our being so that said the next passage here is um, following along notice we have the son then he gets to verse 7 the law of the Lord the Torah of the Lord is perfect restoring the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing of the heart rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether, they're more desirable than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb, by them their, their servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. So we have the revelation, the word of God that is creation, and now what? The way the Torah so that is not all that God has left us although both the psalmist and Paul suggest that would be enough for people who have ears to hear and eyes to see but God has not left us with an unexplained universe he has given us Torah the way of the Lord that enables us to know how to live rightly we talked about that last week so we have this second layer But notice where he goes next. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me from hidden faults. Keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. Don't let them rule over me. Then I shall be blameless. I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So in addition to the word of the Lord that is creation, the word of the Lord that is Torah, what do we have? That inner convictional awareness of the Spirit who, who, who speaks to us places of error, speaks to us places in which we have missed the boat. Does that make sense? So here we have this invitation through this, uh, and this is where I think at some level we have to come to a deep level of trust and awareness that God is going to help us with these levels of discernment over time. The other piece, I I wanted to come back to your question because I think it's a really important one. That is, when we do calm down, when we do become still, do we not at some level create a level of susceptibility to another voice? And that, uh, I will argue here in a minute, is the place of community. So that we can run that by somebody in our community group or, or a pastor or somebody who can help us I heard this. Does this sound like Jesus to you? Remember that Jesus said, over time, his sheep will be so familiar with his voice that they will not follow another. That's what we're after. The training of our heart to his voice, to his words, to the letters in red, if you will, so much so that if we hear another shepherd's voice, we're not attracted to that other shepherd. It, it, that's not our shepherd there's no resonance there it's the it's the greek mythology remember the story of uh the guys sailing by the I- islands of the sirens remember that story and it's like the sirens the the, the song of the sirens is so so attractive that uh, ships are are sailed into shipwreck and so you have i think it was uh, who was it ulysses that stuffed up his ears, right, and tied himself to the mast so that he wouldn't be dragged off them, make sure nobody, you know, and then you have, who was it? Do um, you remember? Yeah, Odysseus. Uh, yeah okay, so, so that guy, right? Odysseus. Odysseus, whose song was so sweet that he was not attracted to the song of the siren. Why, 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 would, I, why would I go there? It's the power of a greater affection that enables that discernment that trains us in this. So John uh, chapter 10 makes the point that Jesus, uh, uh, as our good shepherd, will imprint us over time with his voice. And he does that, Uh, particularly as, as we tend to this. And this is what the passage, Jesus then becomes the word of God. Above all other words, so Hebrews chapter one, um, you know, in which in which the writer there uh, says, in times past we've heard from the prophets, but now uh, uh, he has. Uh, let me just read it directly because my my I'm too tired to. God spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he has made the world. And he, the son, is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. He is the one who upholds all things by the word, word of his power. Right? So this is, again, echoed in, in Colossians and Ephesians. He, is the, he, the son, is the sustaining power by word of creation so john 10 uh, 1 through 6 that my sheep hear my voice and so on john 1 the word became flesh and dwelt among us all of this language all of these ways of saying in addition to so we have the 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 creation as the backdrop we have the 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 torah as the backdrop we have the individual word of witness As the backdrop, we have the the life of Jesus. We have the words of Jesus. These are not different words. They're all the same word. Uh, Karl Barth made the point that the creative word in Genesis 1 and the incarnate word in John 1 are the same word. Right? Uh, He goes so far as to say then that the preached word, the proclaimed word, is also the same word, that in the preaching of the word, the word becomes present and, 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 and inviting in an, an encounter. And I think uh, that's, that certainly is the direction that we want to go. So the primary strategy then for hearing the voice of God through the word it, that is Jesus is learning deeply and by heart and life the words of Jesus. This is his expectation of us, his strong challenge in John in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. That's the one I was talking about. Build your house, not on writing my words down, but on living your life framed by them, right? That's, that's the challenge. As we do that increasingly, more and more, we ought not be surprised to have a, a, a system that is increasingly then tuned to him, tuned to his voice. There will be um, I've been walking with somebody uh, now for about ten years uh, and and we have noticed we he he was just recently um, uh, transfer well he got a job in a different state so he's left and so we went back over the ten years of our conversation. We were meeting for breakfast once a month for ten years and 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 in in our conversation uh, we just noticed how his how his what he listens to in music what he reads for entertainment, what he goes to in movies, the bands that he listens to have changed dramatically and not just because he's 10 years older. He's, he's increasingly aware of the lies, right? And, and, and moving. Now, Now that's not because I'm a brilliant teacher and I met him once. It's because the Holy Spirit's a brilliant teacher. It's because, I, well, I'm not convinced... Uh, but it helps that as again he has he has soaked himself and saturated himself in the words of jesus he 's made it a point to memorize the Sermon on the Mount, right and that then becomes a a plumb line that becomes a a marker by which he he, he, he runs his life he 's got chunks of scripture that he is committed to memory he 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 will never ever be bored just need you to sit with that for a minute you know uh, like I, I mentioned I think last week uh, uh, in Dallas, uh, Dallas Willard's uh, um, 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 memoir that John Ortberg and others have been, have been writing they, they recount the story of how for a period of, of a chunk of time uh, a, a few months he woke up every night at 2 o'clock in the morning. Woken by the Spirit. Remember we talked about this. And just meditated on the Lord's Prayer. Just think about a life that is shaped by those phrases. Do you know? And please notice, this is a different than, okay, through the Bible in a year. As good as that is, that's stone skipping over the surface. The Lord's Prayer for an hour from 2 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the morning for 6 or 8 months, that's soul shaping. Do you, do you see? And that's, that's what we're talking about. My sheep recognize. They know my voice. They won't follow another. They could no more follow another than, than Odysseus would sail into the, into the rocks. When, 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 you, when you hear the sweet sound of home, There is no other sound that will be attractive to you. And and this is is the framework, right? So when it comes to discerning, then we can ask, how does the Holy Spirit actually do this? Right? And here's where just some some pieces that I put together down at the bottom here. How is the Holy Spirit heard? And we'll talk about this uh, uh, briefly. Uh, He's heard in community. Is sooner or later, we're going to need community. This is Acts chapter 13 and 15. The group discernment process helped to clarify and, uh, and, and focus the word of the Holy Spirit to individuals. So in Acts chapter 13, somewhere in their journey, Paul and Barnabas had been spoken to by the Holy Spirit to engage in a mission. They didn't do anything about it. Until the Holy Spirit spoke to the community, the church at Antioch, and said, separate out for me, Paul and Barnabas to the mission to which I have already called them. Do mm-hmm. you notice that? So as a confirmation, they didn't, they didn't do anything with it, as far as we can tell. They waited until the community likewise heard. And, and, the, and even though the Holy Spirit had spoken directly to the community in that way, they didn't do anything about it until they prayed about it together. So this is not a one and done. This is not a I need to wear blue socks today. This is, this is a, a serious, deliberative, intentional, engaged discernment as a, as a group that we're after here. That group discernment process, if you're interested in that, uh, Ruth Haley Barton has written a couple of wonderful books on this that, uh, that um, uh, would be worth picking up. Ruth Haley Barton, it's called uh, Transforming the Soul of Your Leadership is one of them, and um, Discerning God's Will Together, I think is the other one. It's really good. So then the Holy Spirit also addresses community primarily through charismatic gifts. So we see this in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, things like words of wisdom and knowledge, prophetic words, tongues and interpretation. All of these things can can focus prayer, can give direction, can shape understanding, but none of them are to be received in isolation. So if you hear a prophetic word, and this is part of our life at the garden right now, right? Our prayer training involves what? Listening, listening and 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 as you, if you're prayed for at the garden inevitably at some point we're going to we're going to say something like I'm not sure this might be me if this doesn't resonate with you let it go right we 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 we're, we're, we're going to hold this tentatively nobody's writing a book on this so it's it's not I had a prophetic word to quit my job and move to to Fresno which is actually what it did take but that's a whole other thing um Um, No, no, no. This is a process. If that's out of the blue, it's probably out of the blue. If it's one of three or four voices that I've heard, I probably need to start to think and pray into this more intentionally. Do do you see? So even a charismatic gift, I grew up in a classical Pentecostal church with, with charismatic giftings of various kinds. Uh, and and I had wonderful pastors who 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 pastored those expressions. Uh, and and it was it was healthy, right? Uh, you, you you and can it be misused? Of course. But just because it can be misused, doesn't mean that it should never be used. So in in through charismatic gifts, and again, usually in community. Usually this is going to happen in smaller group settings, like community groups, rather than the larger group setting of a Sunday morning, just because of the discernment process that's required and and the relative maturity-immaturity factor uh, that may misprocess things. Remember, again, Mary didn't have a prophetic word. She has an angelic visitation. And what does she do with it? She doesn't do anything with it. That's the proper way of processing things that come. Because if it's God's word, it's God's burden to fulfill, not yours to make happen. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So then the other piece, uh, people who are gifts, sometimes you will hear the word of God and you will have noticed this. I notice this sometimes when I'm preaching that I will say some things that I had never intended to say. It's, it's not quite an out-of-body experience, but I will be, li- and any, I, I think any of you who have had conversations with people, you will be sitting across the coffee table, you will be, and you will find yourself saying things, and it's like, where in the world did that come from? <laughs> well, now you know where it came from. It's like I found myself, in, and don't, mis- dis- don't misunderstand this, but I found myself listening to what I'm saying yeah. and thinking, I'm not that smart. I need to write this down, that is really good, right? That's not me, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Why We ought not be surprised by that, right? And and, and even in in the course of of a sermon or the course of a Bible study or a community group, somebody will say something and it will just land on your soul like a ton of bricks. Pay attention to that, you've just heard the voice of the Lord. Now, go ahead, sometimes sorry. When I pray for someone, often when I'm done,
1: I'm like, well, i not really able to remember what the prayer was. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, was yeah. Of, you know, yeah, yeah. I, uh, and and this, this happens not infrequently, right? You're praying for someone. You're trying to lean into what you're sensing. Where Sometimes the, uh, you get an image, you get a word. You begin to pray that. And there's an instant response of resonance to what you're praying. Right? That that's not abnormal. That's the work of the Spirit. Um, so, and then finally, individually, which is what we'll talk about more next 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 week in the in the third hour. Um, so. Um, <laughs> So that, that primary voice that we're going to focus kind of exclusively on next week, that still small voice and the training into the, into the ways of that uh, is, is really what we're after. All right, questions or comments before we quit? Yeah. Yeah, so pastors, evangelists, apostles, prophets, those people are gifts given by the Holy Spirit to a church. They have pastoral gifts, say. Uh, but and there are a bunch of other people who have pastoral gifts who are not themselves the gift. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so it's the uh, Acts or excuse me, Ephesians four, uh, gifts. Um, so the people, the pastor, the apostle, the teacher, are given to a congregation and are God's gift to them. Yes, that's, what makes them, that's, it, that's exactly it. Up more of themselves or that, whatever that is. Right. That's the that's how you can tell somebody who's not just having pastoral gifts, i.e., they walk with people, they do soul care, they care for people. A person who is a pastor, a person who is the gift, always has as the outcome other people who are raised up into their gifting and calling and spiritual maturity. Yeah. Well, he doesn't probably reside in them, he but he can speak to them. Yeah. He can commune with them I and does. That yeah. Before, I it was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Jesus, teach us to hear your voice. Amen.